So we're picking up in the 10th chapter of Hebrews once again today, and we come to verse 19 today. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 here together. And as we've been making our way through this epistle, you'll remember that the author, um, his, his emphasis has been on the supremacy of Christ or the, the greatness of Jesus over, over everything that has preceded him. And he's uh, spent the majority of the letter explaining this very thing to his readers, that Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than the sacrifices that were made. He's, he's even said that he's, he's greater than angels. He's made it clear to us that Jesus is none other than God the Son. He's, the, he's equal uh, with the Father. And he's emphasizing this uh, in order to to prevent these suffering Christians from turning away from Jesus because of the difficulties that they're facing. So he's, he's exhorting them to that end, warning them really not to turn back to the old system, uh, which he says would be uh, eternally disastrous. And so as we come to these verses now, picking up in verse 19, going through verse 25, he first of all summarizes all that Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross, and then he calls his readers, he calls us to a threefold response. And so that's what we're going to consider. Let me read to you verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so if, if you remember all the way back in the... Well, all the way back in the fourth chapter, that's where he first, or even earlier than that, actually, in the third chapter, he, he makes a, a reference to Jesus as our, uh, the high priest of our profession. And then from that point forward, he, he uh, develops the, this whole thing of, of the priesthood of Christ. And there at the end of the fourth chapter, he says, because we have such a great high priest, let us come boldly. Uh, before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so all the way from three right up to the 18th verse, what he's showing us primarily is that we have this mediator. 
the Son of God, who gives us now full, complete, and direct access into God's presence. And, and because we have this kind of access that nobody else had prior to the establishing of the new covenant, as, as great as the Old Testament patriarchs were and the, the saints and the servants of God, they did not have the kind of uh, access to the very throne of grace that we have today. And so it's because of this that we are to now, as he says, let us draw near. That's where he starts. So he's laid all of the groundwork by reminding us of all that Jesus has done and what we have through him. And now he's calling us to respond to that. And so, as I said, he's calling us to a threefold response. The first being in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So since we have this great high priest, since the the way has been made uh, into the holiest of all, where God's very presence dwelt symbolically in uh, the temple, but now the, the reality, since we can go directly to God, he's saying, let us do that. Let us draw near with a true heart or a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. God, all that God did through Christ was with the objective of giving us total access to himself. That, that's what he was aiming for. That's what he's accomplished. And so he's inviting us now. This is the amazing thing. If you think about it, God is inviting you. God is inviting me. God is inviting all people to come in and have uh, communion with him. He's inviting us to come and enjoy uh, this personal relationship and to have the, the assurance that we are uh, safe and secure and loved uh, in his very presence. And so we are to draw near. God is calling us to draw near. The Old Testament, well, uh, everybody had to keep a distance because of the sin issue. Jesus has taken sin out of the way. So now we can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. Think about that, how amazing that is, that every one of us, no matter who we are, no, no matter how we're perceived by others or how we even perceive ourselves, we might see ourselves as completely insignificant. Who would want, uh, you know, me in uh, that, that kind of a sense? You know, who would uh, give me any special privilege or honor? Well, God has done that. He's invited us all to draw near to him. And so we are to draw near, he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We're to draw near by faith. We're we're to believe that this access to God is real. And then we are to act upon that belief by taking advantage of it. Now, he mentions here again he mentions having been sprinkled, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. And what he's really referring to here is simply that our sins have been forgiven and cleansed. And so that's, we have to have faith in that as we draw near to God. Because, you know, if I don't believe that, I'm going to be vulnerable and susceptible to the enemy's lies, and I'm going to I'm going to draw back instead of draw near. If I'm not confident that my sins are forgiven, if I'm not confident that I'm cleansed, then that's, that's going to uh, cause me to go draw, draw back from intimacy with the Lord rather than press into intimacy with the Lord. So it's by faith that we embrace the forgiveness and the cleansing of Jesus. And it's by faith that we draw near, that we take, take that access that's now available to us right into that holy place, right into the very presence of God. Now listen, the devil, who's real, does not want you availing yourself of this access. So when you seek to go there, the enemy comes along with a suggestion, oh, you can't do that. You're not worthy. You're too sinful. You're filthy. You're unclean. These kinds of accusations that he will bring against us. But what he's telling us here is that we're to draw near uh, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, this is where faith rejects those um, lies of Satan and just presses right through that. All of us probably know this to some extent. Some of you might not be aware of what has actually been happening. But all of us know this experience where we seek to go to God and uh, instantly our minds are flooded with all the reasons why we can't do that. And they're usually accusations pointed back at us, you know, our failures and unworthiness and all of those kinds of things. How do, how do I overcome that? How do I uh, keep from being kept out of God's presence by those things? It's by faith. It's by faith in the blood of Jesus, knowing that I've been forgiven, knowing that I've been cleansed, so now I can come Boldly, having boldness to enter the holiest, it's by the blood of Jesus. And so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, what does it look like to draw near? What, what is that for us experientially to draw near? Well, there's three things that I want to touch on that I think are uh, ways in which we draw near to God. Number one, we draw near to him in praise. As we, with a sincere heart, praise God, as we sing to him, as we lift our voices with thanksgiving, and as we express gratitude toward him uh, through praise, whether we're just you know, verbally expressing it in simply talking to God, or if we're singing to him, it's through that that we're drawing near to God. And you see, there's something that we have to understand, that when we draw near to God, as James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we draw near to God, there's something that happens to us. 
It's like Moses back in uh, the, the book of Exodus. We have the story there of how Moses went up to the top of the mountain, and there he was for 40 days and 40 nights. He was in the presence of the Lord. And then Moses came down the mountain, and even though he didn't realize it, the people saw that the face of Moses was shining brightly. You see, it was his being in the presence of God that left the imprint of the glory of God upon him. And here's the truth. When we spend time in God's presence through praise, when we give ourselves to worshiping him and to expressing our praise and uh, our thanksgiving to him, when we just take the time to do that, that has an impact on us. We are being uh, transformed through that. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, spoke about this transformation that takes place from glory to glory. As we behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, so we are being transformed from glory to glory. So as I draw near to God in praise, as I take the time to come with a sincere heart, whether it's congregationally, collectively, like we're doing today, or if it's just privately, within the the privacy of my own home, my own room, my own office, or wherever I might be privately, as I just draw near in praise and in worship, there's something powerful that's taking place. And that's what God has invited us into. So praise is one way. Prayer is another. Prayer is another. And we we come to God in prayer. Now, this is a great thing to me, and I think you would probably agree. You know, it's a great thing that we can pray anytime, any place. There's no preferred posture. There's no uh, time of the day that's better than any other time of the day. You know, we can pray anytime, any place. And that's a wonderful thing. But I think sometimes because we have that kind of access, sometimes we miss out on more focused and dedicated times of prayer. You know, sometimes for me, I'll go like a whole week where it's just a bunch of bullet prayers, you know, all throughout the week. I just, you know, bullet prayer here, bullet prayer there. I'm going here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm praying as I'm going, but I'm, you know, I'm not really stopping to, to pause and to really meditate as I'm praying because I don't have time. I'm busy. But I find for myself that I need those times when I need to just really focus a little more. I need to stop, and I need to pray more intentionally. I need to pray in a more focused fashion. And that's a way of drawing near to God as well. And so we come to God, and we pray about things. And I'm I'm thinking here, too, of praying for ourselves. Now, some people think you know, praying for yourself is selfish. I've had people say to me, you know, I never pray for myself. That's so selfish. I don't, you know, I want to waste God's time by praying for myself. Well, I pray for myself a lot because I know better than anybody else how much I need prayer. So that's the virtue of praying for yourself. You know you really need prayer and you know the things that you need prayer for. But it's a, it's a good thing and it's part of this drawing near to where we just take the time. You know, and it, it could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 minutes. It could be an hour if you have an hour. Whatever, you know, the timing of it or the, the duration of the time isn't so important. It's just the fact that we can at, at times just focus in and concentrate. That's drawing near to God as I come to him 
personally, and I, I'm just seeking to meet with him face to face. But then there's also intercession. There's also coming to God and praying for others and praying for things. But it's in these ways and others that we do what we're being exhorted to do here. This is how we draw near to God. So when we come together collectively like we are today, and we have our worship team up here, as we call them, and we're singing songs, let's not forget that this is an opportunity to really enter in. It's an opportunity to draw near. Sometimes we just almost think of the, this time as sort of a warm-up time for the sermon that's coming. But it's, it's every bit uh, as much a time of engaging with the Lord if we intentionally do that. I know sometimes people are... Um, and, you know, I do this sometimes myself, too. I, you know, I hear, I hear a certain song, and I go, oh, I don't like that song. And it's like, well, you know, the song really isn't for you in the first place, so don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, I think that. Sometimes I think, I, you know, God, I don't like that song those people wrote for you, you know? <laughs> what do you think? And I sometimes feel like the Lord saying, well, you know, I like it. <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> Just shut up and... You know, think about me. But we, you know, we get hung up on all these little things. I don't like the song. I don't like the drums. I don't like the guitar. I don't like this, that. You know, we, instead of drawing near, instead of worshiping God, we're just sitting here criticizing everything. No, we have an opportunity to draw near through these things. And, you know, if you don't like to sing, that's okay. Just, you can just quietly think about the words that are being said. But most of the songs that we sing are, are scripturally based. You can just think about those truths. But that's what he's talking about here, drawing near, drawing near to God. Of course, under the Old Testament, they went through the whole elaborate thing, and then there was the priest that had to intercede because there was only so far that the average person could go. But the point here is that we can go all the way into the Holy of Holies, Jesus, through his flesh, he made access for us. So let us draw near. Secondly, he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now remember, here in the context, these people this, this was their big temptation. Their big temptation was to loosen their grip. Their, their big temptation was to let the, the difficulties that they were facing, it was to let, let these things blow them off course. And so when he says that we are to hold fast, you have the picture of, of holding tightly to something. So it's not going to slip out of your hands. But you also there with that word is sometimes used. You have the picture of, of holding the course. So as the, the, um, the captain of the ship would, would have to hold the rudder at a certain point because of the winds that were there seeking to drive the, the ship off of course, uh, the captain had to hold tightly to the rudder to keep the ship on course. So there, there are these winds that blow through our lives that are designed 
to try to blow us off course. And he's saying, hold fast. Hold fast that confession. There's the, there's the wind of ridicule. There's the wind of deprivation. There's the wind of persecution. And these things come along. You know, we're living in a time where it's more and more uh, the case where there's lots of ridicule coming to people for their faith in Jesus. And where, you know, maybe in the past people, you know, made a little bit of funny or whatever, or just kind of ignored you or whatever. Now there's a little more aggression in the culture today. There's a little more mockery in those things. And of course, none of us like that. We don't like to be mocked. We don't like to be ridiculed. We don't like to be made fun of. And because that happens, there's a temptation to loosen our grip a little bit. There's a temptation to just veer from the course a little bit so we, we get freed up from that. But he's saying, no, hold fast to your confession. You see, that's what was happening to them, as I pointed out before. For them, going back to the old system which was a religious system, remember, and it was the system that God had worked through, but going back to that meant security. It meant life would get so much easier. It meant that they would be back on good terms with their family and their neighbor, and that, that's what the big attraction was. Here they are. They're believing in the Messiah, and everything is uh, kind of falling apart around them. They don't have a permanent place to worship. They don't have a temple. They don't have a visible priesthood and all of this pomp and all of this ritual. They don't have any of that. Now they're just meeting in little houses here and there. And the leaders of the churches are being persecuted and they're being put in jail and those kinds of things are going on. And so for them, you could see how there would just be a temptation just to compromise, just to blend in. I don't, you know, I'll just be quiet. I won't say anything. It was that ridicule that was tempting them to loosen their grip. Or in, in their case, especially as we'll read next time, there was deprivation. They lost their homes. They lost their belongings. They lost their position, some of them. And he mentions it later on in the 10th chapter. Those were the things that happened to them. And of course, again, when these things happen, there's suddenly that thought like, well, you know, I don't like this. Maybe I need to pull back a little bit. Maybe I need to just tone it down. Maybe I just, you know, I, I, I shouldn't tell anybody I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't want anybody to know. I'm, I'm not going to talk about spiritual things anymore because it's just resulting in this kind of a thing. That, that's the temptation that comes our way. And sometimes, as again was the case with them, there's outright persecution. And all of these things are intentionally designed by the enemy of our souls to get us to not hold fast to our confession, but to loosen our grip. But notice what it says. It says, hold fast our confession of hope without wavering, for he who called you is faithful. God is faithful. And he's going to see you through it. He's going to bring you through it. And there's, there's a blessing that's coming. We have to remember that 
the, the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in today will not go on forever. We're living in a Christ-rejecting world. We're living in a Christ-rejecting culture. We're living in a time when there's building opposition to the gospel and the person of Jesus. And, you know, it's amazing how we're seeing things turn so rapidly. I was talking to a friend yesterday who lives in Europe, and he was telling me how uh, in 10 years he's seen such a change in the culture where nowadays, you know, you can be of any religion and talk freely about it, and nobody's going to bat an eye, or they, they couldn't care less. But man, you start talking about Jesus, and you are immediately like public enemy number one. And that's the way the world is. And it's becoming increasingly uh, like that as time goes on. But listen, it's not always going to be that way. God is faithful. He's going to carry us through the hard times. But, you know, there's a day coming when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And there's coming a day when God is going to judge his enemies. I was thinking last night about the, just that picture that we have given to us in the second Psalm. Why did the nations rage and the uh, the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Christ. And what are the kings of the earth saying? They're saying, let us cast their cords from us. Let us break free from the restraints of this idea of a God and his Christ. That's what the world is saying today. But what does God say? He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision, as though man could really break away from God. It's impossible. We know that. And so we might have to, though, persevere through challenging times, but knowing full well, having full faith and confidence that God is faithful, and it's all going to work out in the end. He's going to reign just as he promised that he would. And if we have to suffer ridicule, deprivation, even persecution in the meantime, then that's what we do. Because that's what the people of God have, have, have always done. And remember, Jesus told us about these things himself. He told us uh, when people speak evil against you falsely for my name's sake, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Nothing, this is nothing new. So just like they were being tempted by the, the difficult circumstances to draw back, we might find ourselves in similar types of things. What do we do? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. No wavering, just sticking to our commitment to Christ. And then thirdly, he says in verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and now let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We have the responsibility to look out for each other's spiritual welfare. We are to stir up each other. Another translation reads provoke. We are to consider one another in order to provoke one another to love 
and good works. So what, what does that look like? Well, it first of all looks like we need to talk to each other about God. You know, when we talk to each other about God, there's, there's something that's just, there, there's encouragement that comes from that. There's a stirring that takes place. I know for myself, when I, you know, get in conversations, great conversations about God, the things of God, I think of something like the nature of God. And you start talking with somebody, or, or maybe you're reading a book about the attributes of God, the nature of God, and you start to see God in a new light. You start to see him for who he really is, his greatness, his magnificence, these kinds of things. And you share that with other people. You talk about that. Man, there's something about that that just builds you up. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. We, we, we have to connect with each other. We have to speak to each other about the nature of God, speaking to each other about the saving work of God. But again, if we're going to speak about these things, we've got to know about these things. So we've got to study these things. We've got to be in God's word and we've got to be reading you know, good materials that are gonna teach us more about the depths of God's nature and about God's redemptive action. And, and, and then we've, discover those things ourselves, and then we pass those things on to other people. And man, that all has a way of just stirring us up and encouraging us in our faith. And I love that. I love to have conversations with people where, you know, they're, they're sharing with me insights that God's given to them about, say, the, the redemptive work of Christ, you know, what Jesus gave up to save us, what he went through in his suffering to bring us to God, and those kinds of things stir our hearts, or we talk to each other about the plan and the purposes of God. And that's another thing that's thrilling when you get together with people and you're talking about what God is doing in their lives, what God is doing in your life, and what God wants to do in the days ahead. You know, the Christian life is the most exciting life in the world. And when you think that we have been invited into this this work that God's doing in the world. He's invited us to come and be part of it. But he tells us we're to provoke one another. We're to stir each other up so that we together would be engaging in showing love and doing the good works, the things that advance the kingdom. So talking to each other about God and also praying for one another for opportunities to show love and engage in good works. You know, there's something very powerful about praying for each other. You know, some people have a question, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what his will is. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't, I don't know, you know what kind of service I might uh, do for him. Hey, let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal that to you. Let's ask him to show. And you get around and you just lay hands on somebody and you pray for them. And you know what happens? God begins to reveal things. He begins to show things. He begins to open doors. He begins to give clear direction. I'll never forget the night many, many, many years ago when I was in a, a, a prayer meeting with a group of friends. And one guy suddenly laid hands on me and said, God, I just pray that you get Brian fired from his job and I pray you get him into full-time ministry. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? What in the world kind of prayer was that? But you know what? It happened. 
It did. It happened. It happened soon. I had a good job. I got laid off the end of that week. It was amazing. And, you know, from that point forward, it was just kind of one step after another that, that eventually led me into full-time ministry. That prayer, that very prayer, that specific prayer, God specifically answered. And I can think of so many uh, prayers in, in looking back on that season with that group of people, so many prayers that were answered. But we do that for one another. That's what it means to consider and to stir up. We pray for one another. And then together, we seek out opportunities to show love and engage in good works. We don't just pray about it, but then we, we look for the opportunities to come along. And, you know, as a, as a, as a church, collectively, we have many different things that we're involved in, many ministry opportunities that happen right here on the grounds that pertain to the, to the body here, but many other opportunities that go out into the community, uh, go out and touch either the you know, churches outside, like we made the announcement this morning for the Silverado Canyon thing. Well, that's a church out there that has had uh, continual problems when the rains come through and the mudslides and the church you know, gets wiped out through that. So they're trying to take preventative measures. They're looking for some people to come out and just help out with that. There's an opportunity to show some love, to do some good works. We just recently had a thing where we're connecting with the city and they've got needs in, in the community. The city has needs and they don't have the uh, staff to meet those needs. So as a church, we make ourselves available. Hey, you know, we've got a team. We can come over. We can do that. What would you like us to do? And man, they're like, wow, that's great. And so we get to go out and we get to serve in that kind of a way in the community. And then, of course, you're out there with uh, people who aren't believers and they're asking questions like, well, where are you guys from? What are you doing? How come you're doing this? You're doing this for free? Nobody's paying you? And, you know, it gives an opportunity. So we've got these kinds of things that are happening. But then, of course, these are things that you can step out and do on your own as well. Because for you personally, there might be unique things that come along. But we provoke one another to those things. Somebody might say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I think I've got this opportunity coming up and maybe I should do this. And somebody else says, you know what? Yeah, you should do that. I think God's opening that door. You need to take that step of faith. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. And so we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. But listen, notice what he goes on to say. In order for this to happen, we have to be engaging with each other. And so he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. We need to be in fellowship as Christians. Now he, he refers here to some who were out of fellowship. He says, don't, don't be like that. You know, you cannot be an independent Christian and really, you can't thrive the way God intends, nor will the church thrive if, uh, if you're absent from it because you've got a contribution to make to the church and the church has a contribution to make to you. So 
we all have to be engaged. We all have to be plugged in to the church. And we need to do that. You know, here we are on Sundays and great. You know, but, you know, sometimes people come to church on Sunday because it's just a traditional thing to do. That's the day you go to church. But do you have fellowship with people throughout the week? It doesn't have to be here on the church grounds. You could have a home group, a community group, something like that. But engaging with others that you're provoking, that you're challenging each other that you're encouraging one another to grow in your faith and to step out and to serve God and those things. That's what we're talking about here. So not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so in order to do what he's told us to do, we have got to be in fellowship or community with other believers. And you cannot fully develop as a disciple of Christ apart from other believers. We need each other. And so he says, exhort one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so make sure you're plugged in, not just coming on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. This is great. But don't just stop with that. Get yourself plugged in. We have a ton of other opportunities to get engaged on a, on a smaller level, maybe. We've got men's fellowship and women's fellowship, and we've got a variety of different things. And within the next year or so, we're hoping to initiate a whole new thing with community group, home fellowship kinds of things where uh, you know, some people want to be in that environment, and we want to facilitate that if we can. But listen, the important thing is that we are exhorting one another. We're coming together. We're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But we're recognizing that we need each other. And he says to do this as you see the day approaching. Now, I was thinking about this. As, as he's writing this to that group of Jewish Christians there in the first century, and as I mentioned before, I believe that they were in Jerusalem. And as he refers to the day approaching, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the, the, the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of the people? Maybe so, because that was on the horizon, probably as this was being penned. At the end of the letter, he reminds them here, speaking of Jerusalem, we have no continuing city. And so it could be that uh, things were already uh, building to where that was that whole thing, that conflict with Rome was going to come to a head. So you see the day approaching. It could have been that. Or he could have been referencing the coming again of Christ, the second coming. Or he could have been referencing just the fact that none of us have an unlimited amount of time. And we don't know how much time we have in this life, do we? But we do know this. Our time is limited. And that day approaching could very well be just the end of your life. You know, you have an opportunity to serve God today. And that opportunity will pass when your life is over. And so, really, the exhortation is make the best of, of the time that you have. Paul tells us in writing to the church in Ephesus, remember, he says, redeem the time. The days are evil. We don't have time to waste. 
Man, I was just talking to somebody in the back about how fast time is going by. And I heard this when I was younger. I heard that, you know, the older you get, the faster time goes by. You know what? That was true. (laughs) I'm experiencing that. And, you know, we were talking, I thought, well, maybe it's because we kind of just are so busy. We do so many things. We kind of go from event to event and outreach to outreach and conference to conference. So it's just, you know, it's just like a whirlwind. But I don't know. It's hard to believe that we're already coming up to the end of 2015 here. But you know, buy back the time because we've only got a limited amount. While it is today, exhort one another. The day is approaching. And if he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, which he might very well have been, of course, as we look at the world today, man, talk about things escalating. Talk about things speeding up. You know, I've been reading the book of Revelation again and actually preparing to teach it in the first, uh, at the first of the year. But, but one of the things that it says in the book of Revelation, it talks about, um, you know, Jesus says many times, behold, I come quickly, or the things that must shortly take place. And the word there doesn't mean shortly in the sense of, um, you know, it's going to be just in a few weeks. What the word really means is with rapidity. When it, when it happens, it's going to happen so quickly. Things are just going to go like lightning. And Man, you know, so many people have been noticing the fact that, that we are just so rapidly deteriorating as a nation. The, the world is, is so rapidly uh, unraveling and, and going into a state of chaos. All of these things are reminding us of the Lord's coming. So as, as we see that day approaching, as we don't know how much time we have collectively, we don't know how much time we have personally, we got to make the best of the time that we have. And how do we do that? By drawing near to God, by holding fast to our faith, and by considering one another and stirring each other up, provoking each other to love and good works. By coming together as the people of God and worshiping and seeking and praying and then through that, getting vision and going forth. I think of the apostles. I'll close with this. I think of the apostles in uh, Acts chapter 13. There in the church in Antioch, it says that they were there ministering to the Lord. And there are some names given there and Barnabas and Saul are mentioned there amongst others. And it says as they were fasting and ministering to the Lord, the Lord spoke and said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. You see, that happened in the context of community. It happened in the context of fellowship. And God spoke. How did he speak? Was it an audible voice that just broke into the thing? Maybe, but it was probably somebody else sitting in the prayer circle that received a prophetic word. God spoke through them, and they believed that that was the word of the Lord, and they sent Barnabas and Paul out, and that's how the whole missionary endeavor began. And so, these are the things. In light of this amazing, direct, total access that we have to the throne of grace, these are the things that we are to do. Draw near to God personally. 
and remember the promise, he will draw near to you. Hold fast what we have and consider one another and stir one another to love and good works. Lord, we thank you that we are here today at this time in history, having been saved by you, knowing you, following you. And Lord, we want to serve you. We want to, Lord, seize the opportunity. We want to make the best of every moment that you give us. So help us to do that. Lord, thank you for the amazing invitation to draw near to you, that we can come right to you with everything that we're burdened by, all of our cares, concerns, our problems, our aspirations, whatever they might be, Lord, we can just come to you. How we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us right there in that secret place and you minister to us. Lord, strengthen us to hold fast in these days to our confession of faith and not to waver. And Lord, help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some do, but to continue to come together so we can exhort each other to love and good works as we await your return. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.